Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here to talk to you about Reinvent Yourself and how we do this. And every week I talk to somebody who has done it so that you have a roadmap of how to go about it. And so I do too, because I'm still learning, believe me. And I am bringing you a wonderful person who I know pretty well, who is reinventing herself in the medical world. Her name is Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, and she is a cardiologist, and she is also an entrepreneur now because she decided that she didn't like the way that she was seeing medicine going, and it was going against her natural instincts of spending more time with her patients. As she says, I love my patients. I want to spend time with them. And all the corporate pressures of how hospitals are run today were pushing her away from that. She also believes heavily in prevention, and she felt that an awful lot of heart disease, which is the number one killer of women, we forget that, is preventable by changing your life and changing how you handle your life up front. And um, full disclosure, she happens to be my cardiologist too, so I think she's kind of amazing. Um, But really honestly she's looking at it from a very different point of view and she's now gone off and started her own integrative practice where she's working with people to get them to be preventative in their outlook so that they don't end up with heart disease as she says she can tell by various tests and various um uh data where you are on the spectrum of getting heart disease and she can intervene before you get it. And that's her whole goal. So anyway, this is a a good uh, discussion for people who are in the medical field and may feel that they are not happy with the way things are going, but don't wanna be just open up just a regular old practice. What can you do that's different? Um, And also there's a lot that applies to anybody who's working. I saw a lot of parallels in the publishing field um, where you were just asked to turn things over faster and faster and faster with no quality control really um, because of corporate pressures to produce. So very interesting discussion um, and I hope you'll enjoy it. And I hope if you need it, um, it will help you think about how you might look at your health in a different way. And what you can do to move yourself into a healthier space before it becomes unhealthy. So welcome, Miss Suzanne Steinbaum. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm so glad I finally got you. This is really interesting because I don't know that many doctors who have reinvented what they do. And that, I think, is what people are going to be faced with in every profession. So I think that's what's going to be fun about our discussion today. So let's talk a little bit about, since people don't know you, what's your history? Um, Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How did you get into cardiology? And then we'll talk about your reinvention. Oh my goodness. Well, I grew up in New Jersey and I have to say that I grew up in a family of doctors. So I think it was a little genetic what happened to (laughs) me. Um, I always say I don't remember a day on the planet that there wasn't a patient in my life. The, uh, my grandfather's general practice office was connected to their house. And I spent a lot of time between the kitchen and the waiting room. And I remember just being like three years old running around and asking my grandpa to do an eye exam on a patient. 
And I was very, very angry because I didn't know the alphabet. And the good news was my grandma was a teacher and he said, well, go into the kitchen and learn the alphabet and then come back out and you can do eye exams. So that that's one of my earliest memories in life. Um, I decided very early on that I was absolutely not going to be a doctor. I didn't want to follow in the family's footsteps. But what really happened for me was that taking care of patients was sort of part of my life. And I was at Tufts University as an undergrad, and I decided to do sort of an internship at Boston Floating Hospital, which was the pediatric hospital in Boston. And I was just really drawn to not only taking care of the kids, but I, I was doing a dance program there. It was a dance therapy program in child life, which was a really holistic program dealing with the psychology and the developmental stages of kids. And instead of just working on that component, I kept reading about all of their diseases and diagnoses and trying to figure out how to do my job the best from the perspective of their illnesses. And one of the attending physicians there said to me, what are you doing? Clearly, you're interested in medicine. And I looked at him like he said a curse word to me. You know, it, it was kind of like that. So I followed in my family's footsteps, but I decided to do it a little differently. Um, my father is a retired oncologist, and I grew up in a home where I was very aware of life and death. And I wanted to help people live. And I wanted to help teach people how to thrive. And I decided to do that very early on. Cardiology at the time was really a treatment-driven specialty. It was about stenting, and it was about surgery, and it was about bypass. And there was this little pocket of understanding that actually heart disease was preventable. And there was research that was done that was about prevention, about diet and exercise. And a lot of that research, well, a lot of it, I'm going to tell you all of it at that time was done on men. And I was a resident and I wasn't 100% sure exactly what I was going to do, but I was on call in the emergency room and I was watching women being brought in. And there was this one night, and I always tell this story because it was such a profound moment in my career and in my life. There was a woman who was about 53, wheeled in, really sick, nauseous, sweating, vomiting. And she was put in the corner with the diagnosis of gastroenteritis. She then had a heart attack in the emergency room under the care of these doctors that were really my professors, my teachers, my mentors. And I had the, that Oprah aha moment that, oh my goodness, women are dying of heart disease and the people I look up to are not diagnosing it. They're not following this. I was so lucky that I was in this hospital where the chief of cardiology was interested in this. And he was actually doing Dean Ornish's research on the East Coast. And Dean Ornish was looking at diet and exercise and stress management and group support to help prevent heart disease 
in people who had already had it called secondary prevention. And this was the most mind-blowing thing that could possibly happen to me because I wasn't even aware that such a thing existed. And here right under the roof that I was training in, it was right in front of me. And this doctor, the, my chief, um, he created a preventive cardiology program for me after I found out there was no such thing as a women in heart disease fellowship. I wanted to do a preventive cardiology fellowship and I found out there was no such thing as that. He made one for me and made that happen. And I spent a year immersed in a real prevention program that was research and clinical driven. I was able to travel the country and speak to the, the people who were the smartest minds in this field and learned so much about the reality of the effects of food on health, the effects of exercise on the arteries, and the most ridiculous and amazing thing that was in my traditional medical training, none of this was talked about. So I spent three years after then going through a traditional cardiology fellowship, questioning every little thing about the paradigm. Putting stents in didn't seem to make sense to me. I didn't understand nuclear stress test, looking for blockages that were 70% or greater when I knew that most heart attacks happened from 30 to 50%. And this was a mental shift in how we were going to think about cardiology. And there was really a, no place for me to put this understanding when the whole paradigm was the antithesis of what I learned in prevention. What I had understood was that the disease of the heart, when we talk about coronary artery disease, was about the health of the lining of the artery. And it was about stabilizing the development of plaques. What was happening at that time was more just about band-aids and putting in these metal straws to open up blockages that didn't really change the disease process. I just never got it. And I spent, I'm gonna tell you roughly 18 years in a hospital system that really started changing and morphing from being patient focused and centered to really becoming a big bureaucratic business where patient care was less about time and quality and more about quantity. I spent 18 years in a system that didn't really agree with my viewpoint. I think that things are changing now and major trials have just recently been released looking at stents and questioning their usage. I feel like cardiology is kind of catching up to what I learned so long ago. But I wasn't able to practice necessarily the way that I understood to be the best way. And recently I was very lucky to find another chief of cardiology at Mount Sinai who really has been focusing his career now on prevention. And he has really understood the role of diet and exercise and lifestyle intervention on the development of heart disease and how to diagnose it early. And I was able to spend some time really being revalidated in what I have believed to be the most important way to approach heart disease. 
So after this journey of being in the hospital, I decided to leave. And it was one of the most challenging decisions, but one of the best decisions I have ever made for myself. And so when you say you left, what does that mean? So you're no longer a practicing cardiologist or you just don't, or you're not within a hospital, you're out on your own, sort of if you can explain that to lay people. So in the hospital, when you work for a hospital system, they run your practice, they sort of mandate how you, they want you to see patients. And the way that hospitals are running right now are based on sort of time that doctors spend seeing patients and doing testing. And there's this arbitrary way of, diag- of, of evaluating patients and doctors' relationships based on doctors' value. It's called an RVU, which is, like I said, an arbitrary number of a doctor's value. And this value is determined by the number of patients you see. Ultimately, it's determined by how much money you bring for the hospital. And it wasn't working for me. Um, They really had said, you have 15 minutes to spend with a patient. You have to generate X number of patients per day, X number of procedures. And this is sort of how you're looked at. Well, I I love my patients. I want to know them. I want to know who they are and, and what drives them so I can understand better how to help them. And this wasn't working. So when I say I left the hospital, I made the decision to leave the jurisdiction of, a, of an institution and really go into my own practice, start my own business, become a businesswoman as, along with being a clinical doctor. So I took all of my training, all of the procedures and tools I use to diagnose and prevent I believe that prevention happens very early on, and we do have tools to look at disease pre-pre-pre-clinically before it ever shows up and really intervene. I genuinely believe no one needs to get heart disease, and using these tools and strategies that I've studied and researched for 20 years, um, I took that all and put it in my own office space. and. Now I am a physician and a clinician and I see patients, but I'm also an entrepreneur. And I'm an entrepreneur of not only creating my own business, but of creating a new vision of how medicine can be practiced and how it can be delivered to patients. So talk about that. What is it and how are you, how are you proceeding? And if I come to see you now outside of the hospital, and um, I should reveal that Suzanne is my personal cardiologist because I believe in her so much. She's so amazing. Um, but what is different? Because I haven't seen you since you opened this. And what would a woman experience and go through that's different than going to a doctor that's associated you know, the, with that I, hospital? Yeah. So, I, by the way, I kept my admitting privileges at Mount Sinai. Um, which means that if anyone gets really sick, there's a place to go that I'm associated with. This wasn't um, a total divorce. This was just a, um, I'm going to take care of my own stuff. Thank you. And if I need you, you're going to be there. Um, Not for me, but for my patients. So the biggest difference I'm going to tell you is that when you walk into my office now, it's so beautiful. 
and it's calm and peaceful and I don't have those hard sterile treatment tables that and those hard sterile rooms there's a, a table that's actually a massage table where my patients get to lie on with a cashmere blanket <laughs> before I come in um, versus that real sterile and I felt anxiety provoking hospital-like office room, um, the treatment rooms where patients are usually seen. The environment that I've been able to create really allows patients to feel calm and cared for. And my patients now come in and they're like, it is so pretty in here. We never want to leave. And that to me uh, means a lot. I think one of the funniest things is that everyone's blood pressure is a lot lower in this office <laughs> than it was in the other office. So that's a really big difference. But I think the financial paradigm is, is the most different. So many of us are used to going to the doctor and paying a $25 copay or whatnot, and then the office submits to insurance. Insurance companies have really taken over healthcare and have made it extraordinarily challenging for doctors and patients. I mean, I'm, I'm also a patient, on, so I'm on both sides of the story, and I know how challenging it is. And what I decided to do was become an out-of-network provider, which means when you come to the office, um, there's fees for everything that I do. They're not crazy expensive. They're fairly reasonable, especially when you compare them to the hospital fees. And you pay up front. But I hired a billing company, and all of the, that these people do is really go through insurances and go through what is required by the insurance companies, and they submit on the behalf of my patients. And with insurances that have out-of-network benefits, um, patients will get back between 60 and 80% of what they put out. And this way I'm able to pay the rent, pay the salaries of my employees, and I pay for their malpractice as well. And it really has allowed me um, not to feel the same amount of pressure because uh, patients are paying right when they come in. It was very important to me, though, that I use the insurance companies to the best of my knowledge to provide reimbursement for patients. I never really wanted to be a concierge doctor that just takes fee-for-service and you just pay out of pocket and that's it. And I really research to figure out how to create a hybrid so patients would get the benefit of their insurances that we all pay for every month. And this seemed to be the best way to handle that. And, it, and it's working. I was able to create that same paradigm for Medicare as well. When I started, I was told that I couldn't, it wasn't going to work out. And it really requires just a lot of digging and a lot of research. And the thing that I've learned the most is that all of the knowledge you've had throughout your career, you need to implement when you're trying to do something new and different. That there isn't necessarily a roadmap when you decide to create your own. And it's really about reaching out to people who've done it or who've maybe even done it a little differently, but talk to them and get their viewpoint. 
and really research on your own and go with your gut and how to make it what you want. What I was told in the beginning was, yep, it, you know, you can't take insurance, you can't take Medicare, you can't do any of this, and patients are going to have to pay. And I really spent about two weeks sort of crying, you know, how was I going to do this to people? And I was not comfortable with it. It was really hard for me to process it. I, I was a clinician, a doctor. All I wanted to do was take care of people. And how was I just going to become this exclusive physician? And for some people, it's fine. But it didn't feel right for me. And after two weeks, I, I said, I'm going to do it a different way. And that's what I decided to do. So what is different about the treatment now that you can provide um, than you could before and all the integrated stuff that you're working on? And do you have the exercise facility there now? Or what does that look like? So I joined a, in, a acupuncturist and Ayurvedic practitioner in my office. So when I looked at this, I figured I got the body stuff, but the mind stuff is so challenging. And if I found somebody who could really address the stress component, that would be amazing. And I met this doctor of acupuncture and Ayurvedic medicine who really was able to capture sort of the, on Western medicine, she's Eastern medicine. So that's the first thing that's very different. But in my office itself, what I've created is a paradigm for personalized precision medicine, which is a unique program based on lifestyle intervention designed specifically for the individual. And it's using genetics, it's using metabolism, physiology, anatomy, and functional data to create a personalized diet, exercise, and stress management program. And what happens with diagnostic testing is I could genuinely figure out where you are physiologically in the spectrum of developing heart disease. And I can figure out based on data what kind of diet to suggest, what kind of exercise to suggest, and what kind of stress management to suggest. And what gets created for you is not, hey, eat this. It's here's a prescription for diet. Here's a prescription for exercise. And what I get to see, which begins really about three months after this program begins, is that people really begin to change. The other piece of it is that women's hearts have been grossly misdiagnosed. It's a difficult disease to really figure out through the normal standard algorithmic and paradigm that we have in cardiology. And the tools I use really can diagnose heart disease in women before it shows up in the standard um, traditional diagnostic tools. How come other, I mean, you know, this goes back into all the conspiracy theories, of course, from people who are, you know, crazy about medical issues. How come they have not gone far enough into this sort of prevention area and, you know, are not, why are other people not pushing this? I mean, if, if, if one can find so much um, 
prevention by simple changes. Is it that people don't want to change? I have heard that from other doctors that uh, that do preventative stuff. Um, is that their patients want an easy fix? They want a pill? They want you know uh, an operation, something that's going to change it immediately, and they don't really want to work at something. But there are plenty of people who do want to work at something if it's on a prevention thing. What do you see? I, in my experience, and I take care of mostly women, but I'm going to say that the balance used to be 70-30 and it might be 60-40 women to men. I think that the people that come to see me are ready to feel good and really will do anything to be the best they can be. And I will tell you that is across the board, all types of people, education, races, socioeconomic, I think everyone wants to feel good. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And so when I provide a structure, people get it, it's easy for them. A lot of the doctors in the past have said, well, you have to, you have to diet. This is what you have to do. And it doesn't work for everyone, that one size fits all. And so when things get challenging because it's not the right diet for you, why go on a diet? It's painful. And so I see people becoming non-compliant or not motivated when it's not working. But when you really see changes and when you really see things working, People are so motivated to do better. And so in my experience, people don't want medication, surgeries. They want to just see results. And so I actually don't see that. But in the community, in the medical community, it's a really, really tough conversation. Science is difficult in terms of how quickly it changes algorithms are established, scientific statements are established. It takes about 15 to 20 years for research to hit clinical practice. And so the change mechanism is so incredibly slow that it takes so long for doctors to really have not only the data, but the clinical understanding to change how they practice. And what I'm doing right now, it's not not researched, it's heavily researched, but it's not yet part of the guideline and the clinical practice that doctors traditionally used going through really how the algorithms of how we take care of patients. When I talk to other clinicians and I explain what I'm doing, the first thing I do is hand them the research. There's nothing about this work that's questionable. What is questionable is why it hasn't reached clinical practice. And a lot of the research that's done is done by either the pharmaceutical industry or the medical device industry. There are research studies that are done by the NIH and, and that are governmentally funded. And those trials are really large trials that take very, very long time to be executed and then published and then put into clinical practice. I look a lot at the tech world and how quickly it's moving. 
And in some ways, I think that the medical community needs to look at the tech community about how we really generate change and how we really think about research and think about managing our patients. There is a crossroads and there is an intersection between technology and medicine right now. And I'm taking advantage of that by using technology and using some of the research mechanisms in the tech world to translate it to the medical world. And I, I hope that we speed up this process. I'm not sure how and if we can, but a lot of what I'm doing right now is really about communicating the possibilities to patients and to the people that are receptive to listen. When I started and there were lectures being given about stents and I was talking about the benefits of exercise, I promise you, nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. So, so I make it's an old gotta, system, right? Is what you're yeah, saying. Yep. And so in many ways you are short circuiting the system in the way, as you say, as in the tech business, um, that whole idea of move fast, break things, try new things, which you find as you become an entrepreneur, you can do. Um, very similarly, when you leave the publishing industry, where every move you make has to be approved by seven or eight people and it takes six months for them to right. move on anything. And that's in media. Right. It, when you're your own entrepreneur, you can just move quickly, read research and, and implement, correct? Absolutely. But I'm still, you know, I haven't changed as a person and I feel like growing up in the academic world, I'm still rooted in making sure everything I do is so academically justified. I never want to do something that is not validated. Right. And that is so important to me. So in some ways, because there's not oversight um, by a hospital or by the academic institution, I am diligent about my own oversight. So quickly, because we're moving toward the end of our time here with you, what kind of um, changes, I mean, I know you just started, um, but what kind of things, I mean, just in general, in your changing people's lifestyle, how is this going to happen and what kind of prescriptions are you writing for people and what you know, um, kind of results are you seeing? I, I'm seeing the most amazing results and I'm seeing people lose weight, come in more energetic. Um, they, they are just sleeping better, less stressed, um, not only losing weight, but getting fit. And it's happening quickly. Um, I started January 6th. It's the middle, of, you know, it's almost two, it's a little over two months and I've literally seen it happening. It's been extraordinary. And there are some patients that I will put on um, diets that are like the Medita Mediterranean diet. There are some people I'll suggest intermittent fasting. There are some people I'll suggest are more vegetarian. And it really is dependent on their genetics and metabolism. I think that it becomes important when you are planning on changing your life and in reinventing yourself that you open your mind to the options that exist outside of the bubble and the world that you live in. And if anyone told me 10 years ago, five years ago, I would do this, I would say it's not possible. So always look at what 
is potential and what is possible and open your mind to it and really understand and know your strengths. I knew what I was capable of from starting way back when in a prevention fellowship. And what I've been able to create for my patients now is not what I learned a year ago or five years ago. It's what I've been studying for 20 years and it's a culmination of everything I've known. And so in closing, Suzanne, do you have, if, the, if there are other people who are listening who are in a similar kind of situation where they're in some kind of corporate connection that's making them, you know, look for numbers and look for fast turnover, I mean, and it could probably, you know, it could be medicine, but it might be other things. How do you know that it's time to reinvent your situation and how would they know? What, are, what would you tell somebody coming to you? I've, you know, to know what you have to do and do you, and what kind of planning do you have to do? Do you have to save up, you know, two years of salary? What, what kind of thing do you have to do? I mean, that would have been a great idea <laughs> to not do that. Um, I was really trying to make things work in the hospital. And I have to say that being a physician and spending a lifetime dealing with health, I think the most important thing you can understand is how valuable your life is and that we should go through life happy. That, that is part of why we're here. And we are all here for a reason. And we all have a purpose and we all have a passion. And what I tell everyone is if you are going to work every day and you are miserable, you don't stay in that job. And when the writing is on the wall that what you have to offer is more or different than what they're looking for. If you find criticism coming at you for things that are really addressing your strengths, and not the weaknesses, such as C15 patients, no, I want to spend more time. Um, it's time to go. And what you need to do more than anything is research what you want. But write down exactly who you are, what your strengths are, what you envision, and start planning. I did not plan very long. I decided to leave in April of 2019 and I launched in January of 2020. But during that time, I really spent every single solitary day looking at all the options, what I could do, how I could do it, and buckled down to make it a reality as quickly as I could. Um, you know, I, I always think planning is awesome, but I'm not somebody who would have planned and waited for two years. I had to jump or else I wasn't going to do it. And if I waited too long, it wasn't going to happen. So I would tell everyone, just know you get one shot in your life to be as happy as you can. And the second things start going in the opposite direction, that's the second you start planning. Awesome. And on that lovely note, we will end. Suzanne, tell everybody how they can reach you if they want to find out more about what you did and um, or come see you as a cardiologist, where do they find you now? Well, I have a website and I'm on social media, drsuzannesteinbaum.com. My office phone number is 212-888-8400. And you can go to my website or you can call me there. And I would love to bring you into this new journey of mine. It feels like 
it's life changing, not only for me, but really for the women whose lives I get to be a part of. And it's really exciting. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to get, I'm going to have to come back up there just to see you and see what you're doing. And um, thanks for your time. I so appreciate it. Thank you. So thank you all for listening to Reinvent Yourself. I hope you enjoyed this discussion with Suzanne Steinbaum. I think she's really smart and really out on the cutting edge of changing the way that medicine is done. We definitely know that things have to change as we've done stories in Covey Club and you know that. Um, You know, women are still not being tested enough. They're still not part of the research. They're still, I mean, it's hard to believe in 2020, this is still the truth. And especially older women are not being considered in many cases. So we do need change. And if you enjoyed this conversation, I hope that you will subscribe to our podcast and I hope you will pass the podcast along to other people who may need it or find it valuable. If you know of anybody who I should interview who has reinvented themselves in an interesting way or who is creating platforms for women to reinvent themselves, I hope you will reach out to me at l-e-s-l-e-y at coveyclub.com. And if you like the podcast, please give us a rating. Please give us some stars. Please give us a comment. We'd like to hear from you. And also, I hope you'll come over and join CoveyClub.com. We have a lot going on there. We have a wonderful Covey Connect app where women can speak frankly and privately about their issues and what's going on in their lives and how we can all support each other, especially these days as things are going a little crazy. We could use the support. So thank you so much for joining us. And until next time.